platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. Hello and welcome to our special edition of BizTalk, focusing on China's economic performance in the first half of 2023. We will analyze recently released key economic indicators and go beyond the numbers to explain what they indicate about the government's policy priorities in the second half. Additionally, we examine what this performance might signify for the future trajectory of the economy. And joining me today are two prominent economists, Haibin Zhu, Chief China Economist and Head of Greater China Economic Research at JP Morgan. Welcome to the show. And Hong Hao, Chief Economist at Grow Investment. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So China is rapidly revitalizing its growth momentum, with GDP growth reaching 5.5% in the first half of this year. And this is particularly noteworthy considering the uncertain global development characterized by financial turmoil, supply chain disruptions, high inflation, and ongoing geopolitical tensions. And Fu Linghui, the MBS spokesperson, emphasized that Chinese economy has demonstrated its resilience, especially in the face of weak global economic recovery. So what are the main takeaways from the headline figure? And what does it suggest about the overall health and stability of Chinese economy? Haibin, let's start with your take. Yes, we have the second quarter GDP uh, number came at 6.3%. This is below expectation. And uh, it's very far the story of the... Uh, deceleration in the sequential growth uh, from Q1 to Q2. Uh, but if you look through the monthly data, monthly data has been very choppy uh, year to date. Uh, in February and March, we see actually a strong and stronger than expected data. Then in April and May, uh, a big deceleration. June activity uh, from that perspective is kind of misreading. There are some silver lines from the June activity, for example, industry production, manufacturing investment and the infrastructure investment, which it came in stronger than expected. But there's also some weak spots, uh, for example, uh, real estate activity, consumption and service has been slowing down. Uh, so we are uh, overall, I think that uh, uh, the, the silver line from June activities that show that economic activity is still on the weak side, but momentum seems to be uh, stabilizing. Indeed, there are some weak spots about the economy, but the Chinese economy is still growing faster than most other major economies in the world. So, Mr. Hong, what are your main takeaways from these latest data? And do you believe that the economy is on track to achieve the target approximately 5% growth for the entire year? Yeah, uh, I think we still got half a year to go, right? So I think the second quarter is showing some improvements over the first quarter. Uh, so it, it, even though the market is focusing on the uh, headline number of 6.3%, uh, while you know it's consensus looking for 7% and a bit, uh, but if you look at the sequential uh, improvements, yeah, so it, it's really showing that uh, growth has stabilized. Uh, we're, we're slowly coming out of the trough. And also I've been just now mentioned that uh, IP figures uh, is actually uh, uh, much better than expected. Uh, I think disposable income uh, is holding steady uh, and also uh, uh, consumption, even though it's slower uh, than uh, uh, slower in June than May, but you know overall it is showing a steady picture as she goes as well. So I would say that you know there are like you know challenges ahead, you know especially uh, the uh, property sector. So I think you know property has been you know a, a, a very large part of the Chinese economy and has been a, a, one of the main driver economic growth, the uh, property sector was coming out of a very restrictive purchasing uh, curbs uh, in 2013. So going into 2014, you know, the, the, the property sector actually spent three quarters of negative growth uh, uh, in 2014 until, you know, in the final quarter, you know, with policy helps, 
uh, with uh, easing monetary policy, uh, then, you know, it actually come back to life. Uh, so I would say that, you know, this year, you know, the challenges is probably even greater than uh, 2014. But I think, you know, with the uh, picture, the inflation picture, uh, which is seeing 0% CPI and also deflationary pressure uh, on the upstream, uh, I think it's probably time to act, you know, to use policy to stimulate uh, the property sector out of trouble. Indeed, the government needs to navigate a very challenging economic environment and uh, uh, being in light of the current economic situation, uh, how confident are you that China can achieve its uh, growth goal of 5% and what policy adjustments might be needed to bolster the economy? I think 5% is still achievable. Uh, uh, our forecast for this year is to 5% policy adjustments is probably desirable. Of course, we already see that the policy easing uh, starting in June. Right? So yeah. we see actually on the fiscal side, on the March policy side, and also uh, city level housing policy relaxation and extension of the 16 measures uh, uh, for the 16 measures uh, announced by the central government. Uh, so this has been uh, useful to particularly to support the manufacturing in infrastructure and IP activity actually uh, uh, reflecting the June activity. Uh, we see actually major housing activity in the Kyrgyzstan still. Uh, for example, new home sales, new home starts still decline by around 30% in the year-over-year term. So that posing a big uh, near-term macro risk. And it's uh, critical to stabilizing housing market in the second half. Uh, so from that perspective, I'll say the policy easing uh, will continue, uh, but we do not expect a bazooka-like policy stimulus uh, the, uh, we're not in the urgent situation as we saw in 2020 or 2022. Uh, like I said, uh, the uh, four-year growth target is still on track to be achievable. Uh, so uh, there's very little incentive to uh, repeat uh, a flood type uh, policy stimulus. So we believe the policy easing will be modest, gradual, and also continue to be targeted. Uh, so uh, actually, uh, we're expecting that uh, on the fiscal side, probably uh, some additional policy support coming from policy bank, multi policy uh, side, we expect PUC will cut the triple R and to cut the policy rate in the second half. And housing market probably yeah, more uh, a policy easing uh, on the housing market to stabilizing the housing activity in the second half. Mm -hmm. So modest stimulus seems uh, there is still room for the government to maneuver. Uh, Mr. Hong Hao, what is your take on that? Do you expect more forceful stimulus or the government can still be prudent? I think the monetary uh, policy is already um, are very, uh, very loose. Uh, so we're, we're seeing record loan growth, you know, M2, year-on-year uh, -year M2 growth, amongst other things. But I think, you know, with specifically for the property sector, though, uh, I think the sector can actually need some more targeted uh, policy easing. You know, for example, you know, we can remove all the purchasing restrictions on uh, on property. In the Zhejiang province, they're, they're letting rural households uh, to go into the city and they can buy properties in the city and, and also register for Huko as well. So I think it's, it's a major sort of a, a reform uh, in the Zhejiang province. Uh, in terms of the hukou system so you know it actually hits uh, uh, two birds with one stone you know on one hand you know you you, are, you are enable uh, mobility from the rural area uh, into the urban area and secondly you know you actually increase the, increasing the housing demand in the urban area as well so i think you know it set up a good example you know for many other regions to copy uh, so i think you know things like that you know it's innovative it, it doesn't actually uh, require uh, uh, further aggressive easing on monetary fund and also on the physical side actually help the local government as well, you know, in terms of uh, property sales and land sales. 
So I think this time around, you know, instead of using a bazooka uh, type of policy that we uh, we've been accustomed to in the past, you know, it's time to uh, sort of deploy a, a more innovative uh, policy targeting on the property sector and many sort of other sectors that may need help. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Uh, let's talk more about domestic demand, which is uh, increasingly become a driving force of China's economic growth. So China is increasingly look inward. And in the first half of the year, the total retail sales of social consumer goods saw a jump of 8.2% year on year. Meanwhile, the consumer price index increased by just 0.7%, while the producer price index declined by 3.1%. Meanwhile, nationwide unemployment registered at 5.3%, and China's per capita disposable income in nominal terms rose 6.5% year-on-year. So, Happy, how would you evaluate the role of consumption and domestic demand in driving China's economic growth? Yeah, consumption service normalization is, uh, is a key driver for China's post-reopening recovery story for this year. Uh, indeed, in first quarter, when the economy say deliver a strong sequential recovery, consumption play a key role. Actually, consumption uh, contribute about two thirds of the first quarter of GDP growth. Uh, but entering second quarter, we notice that consumption activity has slowed down again. Uh, when when you talk about the driver for consumption recovery, uh, typically, if you look at the global, the other countries' experience, it usually came from. Uh, three factors. One is income growth along with the economic recovery after reopening. Uh, second is that adjustment in the household saving rate. Uh, typically, household saving rate is much higher uh, during the pandemic period. And after reopening, household saving tend to moving back to the normal level. And third one is uh, in many other countries, uh, the fiscal transfer to the household sector to support the uh, consumption. From policy perspective, some more meaningful measures need to be taken to support the demand side. Uh, I think one is that, of course, we need to uh, support the macroeconomic improvement uh, to bring back the income growth. Uh, but second, I think the policy also need to be um, provide, say, more improved social security safety network right, to reduce the, uh, the uh, uh, precautional saving among households. Uh, lastly, I'll say, yeah, the, although the policy is very low, but I think I would still, still recommend the government need to seriously think about some uh, direct consumption stimulus package, for example, some targeted fiscal transfer to the household sector to support consumption. Well, having just pointed out a very interesting contradictory of China's inflation compared to the global inflationary environment, Hong Hao, what is your take on that? Uh, there are so-called liquidity trap. And why is China's uh, consumer uh, demand, uh, do you think it need more stimulus? And, and most importantly, how to effectively stimulate consumption? Yeah, I think Haibin, you know, just now mentioned that, you know, um, we haven't seen the physical transfer of, of wealth from the state to uh, the households. And I think, you know, in the, in, a, in the more sort of plain terms, it means that, you know, handing out consumption coupons or, or cash handouts to mm. uh, to people you know for them to consume and i think in the borrowing from uh, the uh, the other countries uh, recovery experience we do see you know such handouts uh, did help uh, the uh, the uh, western economies get out of the uh, pandemic trap so you know I, I i would imagine that 
we could have a similar result, but then at the same time, you know, because the propensity to uh, to save for the Chinese households is still very, very high. In such a background, even if you hand out cash, you still have to sort of try to find a way to improve the confidence overall, you know, for people to spend, you know, those cash that you give to them. So I would say that it's it's complicated, but I think, you know, cash handout would help. I think um, uh, targeted policy for the property sector would help. Right. Well, employment conditions is closely related to consumer confidence. Haibin, what is your take on China's employment market? We know that nationwide, the unemployment rate is um, stable at a little bit more than 5%, but young people still face significant job pressures. How do you propose to further enhancing the role of employment and supporting economic growth? In 2022, if you look at the employment data for the first time in record, service sector see actually the net job losses, not actually creating new jobs. Uh, so that is the, uh, the problem we are facing, that uh, the imbalance in the labor market, uh, particularly in the current situation, we do see the policy support, uh, which uh, help create new jobs in the manufacturing, uh, construction, and low-end services. Uh, but actually, they do not match uh, the uh, demand of the uh, college graduates. So that's why we see the near-term friction. We see actually the use uh, unemployment keep on moving higher. Uh, so in order to address this problem, of course, the government has taken a series of actions to mitigate use unemployment issues. Uh, for example, providing fiscal subsidy uh, to encourage corporate sector to keep job posts or hire new workers, uh, or diverting strategy uh, to, uh, for example, increasing the graduate, uh, graduate school uh, applications, or providing, say, internship, uh, encourage actually the, uh, the rural area uh, workers. Uh, but I think overall, a uh, more direct measure is to provide a more, uh, to encourage uh, the comeback in the service sector activity, particularly high and middle value added service sector. So that will need a more stable regulatory and policy environment. Uh, to, uh, so I, I take actually recent action from senior leaders to talk to platform economies, to talk to the uh, the, the companies uh, from SOE, non-SOE, foreign companies, that's a very encouraging sign. I think that uh, uh, more equal treatment between the different com- different type of companies and across different industries, that's important to bring back the job opportunity to address the new sign problem issue we're facing. Mm. And the Chinese job market is, it is really very, very challenging right now. And Honghao, what is your take on the trajectory in the second half? Do you think the government measures to uh, support job seekers and uh, aim to uh, to part helps of the structural problems will work work in the second half. Do we see improvement? The university graduates, uh, the Chinese universities are producing, may not match you know what the physical economies uh, are looking for at the moment. So that create a, a supply demand mismatch there. And I think going forward, you know, besides probably you know because it's a structural problem, and also because you know it, it actually requires a, a fundamental change of. Uh, our ways to to educate our kids, uh, mm-hmm. so it, it just, there's just so much more that needs to be done, you know, from ground up. But I think this year, you know, um, many of the businesses are are having sort of um, a lower labor cost as well because you have a oversupply of young laborers. And so, for example, you know, say, using my firm as an example, you know, we're hiring you know ten interns, you know, at, at a at much lower cost this year. Right, so. Uh, so there are, you know, people like us, you know, who are, you know, trying to, you know, take advantage of the situation, you know, and trying to make the best of it. And I think, you know, from uh, from a higher up uh, perspective, uh, you know, we need a, a, a reform from ground up.
you know, about, you know, how the, the way we educate our kids and also, you know, how, you know, what kind of, uh, what kind of degrees we're gi giving them so that they, they, uh, the supply best match uh, what the society is really looking for. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. A platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. Well, now let's take a look at some uh, specific sectors of the economy. The tertiary industry or services saw output coming at 33,000,000 jumping by 6.4% on year, outperforming the primary and secondary industries and having just pointed out that job demand in this sector is also larger. And among the main drivers, the catering and accommodation sector expanded by 15.5% in the first six months and information, transmission, software and IT service sector increased by 12.9%. So, I mean, what role has the service sector played in China's economic rebound? Yeah, so uh, service sector has been uh, important in driving the recovery for this year. Uh, looking at the first, uh, first quarter and second quarter, service sector growth was uh, 54 and 7.4% uh, respectively. And both actually in both quarters are performing the broader economic growth. Uh, I think we should recognize actually the big potential for service sector uh, to uh, support the longer term uh, economic growth. Of course, we talk about the uh, when we talk about sustainable growth, uh, a lot of emphasis has been putting on the productivity growth. Uh, but what I want to point out is that the productivity growth not only coming from technology innovation and the manufacturing upgrade, it can also come from the service sector upgrades. Right? So the, the value added increase in the service set it's also very important. And particularly, uh, given, uh, the, the, based on our discussion on the unemployment, uh, the labor market condition, I'll say that uh, uh, in the last 10 years, uh, service set has been creating much more jobs while the manufacturing has been on net basis actually losing jobs. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Uh, we need actually uh, the uh, more stable uh, policy environment to support the service set uh, developments and also the service set upgrades. Well, we can talk about the economic upgrading. Uh, actually, uh, we we're also saying the high-tech services is also rising faster than the overall service sector. Meanwhile, if we look at industrial production for June, which rose by 3.8% uh, from a year ago, which is better than expected, and uh, uh, we can see that the manufacturing of high-end uh, and products also outperformed, rising by more than 6%. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Hongha, what is your view on the economy upgrade? Um, what role do you think technology and innovation will play in China's future growth? Yeah, I think that is one of the brightest spots in uh, the uh, GDP, uh, even though the headline number is below expectation. But if you look at the IP, uh, especially uh, the, the, the new energy car industry output, um, it's actually you know substan substantially better than expected. You know, so I think the Chinese uh, new energy car, especially the uh, new energy car exports, you know, it's taking over the world. So you know, and then it's showing, it's really showing in the IP, IP numbers. If you look at the capital expenditure uh, by the high-end industries, high-value-added industries, it's starting to rise, and, and to a certain extent, in some in some quarters, it's actually higher than the uh, the property investments that we did uh, in the real economy. So that is showing that you know from uh, orient uh, the orientation of investment. So we're putting more money uh, to work 
uh, in the high end manufacturing sector rather than you know the traditional you know property sector. So I would say that you know the change is happening, it's continuing. We can see we can see it in the numbers, but I think you know there's still a lot more work that needs to be done. And we can see that high tech investment in the first half of the year rose uh, 12.9% from year ago, which is quite remarkable. And then let's zoom in on China's trade performance amid global headwinds. Foreign trade in the first six months of the year reached 20.1 trillion yuan, up 2.1% year on year, while exports rose about 3.7%, while imports softened slightly by uh, marginally 0.1%. So, Haibin, what is your view on foreign trade situation and impact of global economic prospects on China's foreign trade? Uh, so far, uh, I would say this uh, global uh, uh, weakness story is posing challenges, not only for China, but also for other export-oriented economies in the region, particularly uh, China export to G3 economies has declined notably in the last uh, two or three quarters, uh, following very similar trends as other export-oriented economies in the region. But uh, on the other side, that uh, the uh, uh, China export has been uh, more resilient compared to other export-oriented economies, and uh, that's mainly because actually that diversification, diversification. Uh, efforts mm. of China's exports, and second, that uh, if you look at the uh, the export products. Uh, the bright spots for this year is that China's auto exports uh, actually increased dramatically. Uh, in this year, actually, China's uh, surpassed Japan to become the biggest auto exports exporter. Uh, so that's also helpful to uh, uh, mitigate actually the uh, weakness in other export products. Uh, so, but overall, uh, 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 net exports uh, for this year uh, it probably will turn from a lifting factor to a dragging factor for the economic growth for this year. Right, well, China's uh, performance in export of auto products is remarkable. And Hong Hao, what do you think are the main drivers of China's, uh, the, uh, the upgrading of China's foreign trade? And in your opinion, how would China further optimize trade structure? I think um, this year is difficult. I mean, we're slowing down from uh, the previous two years. I mean, reason being uh, the foreign central banks are, you know, tightening monetary policy. And that, you know, the tightening of monetary policy tend to exert pre downward pressure on uh, foreign domestic demand for Chinese goods. So I think as, as a result, you know, we're seeing a marked uh, deceleration uh, of Chinese export growth uh, in the past few months already. Mm. Uh, so I think, and also in terms of uh, geographic uh, diversification, uh, obviously, you know, we're exporting more uh, to the Asian countries. And nowadays, the Asian countries uh, uh, takes up, you know, more Chinese uh, exports than the U.S. Right? So it actually becomes the biggest trading partner with China. Then at the same time, you know, with the uh, Western economies trying to de-risk the supply chain, from the traditional very linear supply chain, then I wouldn't be surprised to see you know they're making more of their own uh, products at home as well or near shore as well. So in, in that way, um, you know it, it would be difficult for net exports uh, to be a main economic driver this year as it did in the past two years. So I think you know at, at this juncture, you know we really need to find out you know what would be the next uh, growth driver going forward. Uh, talking about de-risking of some foreign countries, uh, the uh, National Bureau of Statistics spokesperson noted that China faces a complex geopolitical and economic international environment. So, I mean, how does it affect China's economic prospects in the second half? What is your expectations? Yeah, I think there's several dimensions when we talk about the external challenge. First is the economic slowdown uh, in advanced economy, uh, which will affect global final demand and China's export outlook. Uh, the second dimension is a change in the globalization process. 
And uh, uh, so particularly that uh, security and resilience is playing a more important role than efficiency in the globalization process. So uh, the latest trend of uh, French shoring, near shoring, or China plus one, uh, that leading to the global supply chain relocation. Uh, the third dimension is uh, related to the change in U.S.-China relationship, particularly uh, the tech decoupling uh, risk and the use of sanction list by the U.S. government. And this will increase the external challenge for Chinese uh, economy. Uh, but overall, I think that for second half, uh, we do anticipate some sequential improvements. Uh, but in year year term, uh, probably the opposite, uh, the second quarter, uh, is benefiting from low base 6.3 percent probably is a peak for this year uh, we're looking at say around four and a half percent gdp growth in year over year time in the second half and that will still uh, bring us to achieve a five percent four-year growth target for this year um, mr hong what, what what do you think about uh, the potential improvement of chinese economy in the second half and what are likely to be the main drivers and on china u.s relations do you think the re-engagement will improve our expectation a bit at least yeah, I think the frequency of dialogues between China and the U.S. is definitely uh, increasing and also more cooperative, more dialogues between the, the G2 countries would definitely help uh, international relationship going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think going into the second half, targeted policies to help the property sector, uh, rejuvenation, uh, consumption, coupons, physical transfers uh, from the state to the household to help consumptions uh, and also to shore up confidence. And also, you know, developing you know new growth drivers uh, for for the Chinese economy uh, to move forward. You know, we are readjusting, you know, to the sort of a reality that we we are facing, the challenges that we're facing. But I think, you know, with all uh, being said and done, you know, five percent growth is achievable. Mm. Well, thank you. We have to leave it there. Many thanks again to our esteemed guests. Your insights have shed light on the complex dynamics on Chinese economy. So China has demonstrated its resilience, especially in the face of weak global economic recovery. And looking ahead, the country is confident to achieve its 5% growth rate this year, as uh, confirmed by both our guests. Of course, as we move forward, it will be crucial to closely monitor the evolving global economic environment and the implementation of policies to ensure sustainable and high-quality growth in the future. And that's all for this edition of BizTalk, tracking China's growth. Thanks for being with us. Until next time, bye for now. With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. Once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, all the magpies fly up to heaven and form a bridge. So many amazing worlds to discover. I want a new palace, said King Mu of Zhou one day. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Will, will you marry me? He asked. And with little hesitation, she said, <laughs> Yes! 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. My father must not go to war. Someone must take his place. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3 wherever you discover your favorite podcasts.